0: <clears throat> Morning, church. Appreciated the energy of all of our um, kids. Appreciated the energy of Graham coming on stage. I will never have that energy. So um, that was exciting to uh, to see all of that. Thanks for being here today on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. Got a good crowd. We've got extended family. So good to see everyone. I know we still have people joining us online and it it is an exciting day. I came across some interesting statistics about hands. Hands. Let me share that with you. Only 10 to 15% of the entire human population is left-handed. How many left-handed people we have out here? Okay. Okay. You know that women are more likely to be left-handed than men. How about this? The average hand length for an adult woman is 6.7 inches from here to here, and for an adult, man is 7.4 inches. Men tend to have longer ring fingers. Women tend to have longer... (laughs) index fingers. I don't know why God did that. Only one in a hundred people are ambidextrous, meaning they can use both hands equally. Check this out. I don't know if this is true or not. I just wanted to share this with you. You cannot get a tan on your palm and underside of your fingers. I, I don't know. Feel free to try that. The hands have 27 bones, 29 major joints, 123 ligaments, 34 muscles, 48 nerves, and 30 arteries. How about that? The fingers themselves have no muscles. Instead, the muscles that bend your fingers are located in the palm and in your mid-forearm, and they're linked to your fingers with tendons. One quarter of the brain's motor cortex, the part of the brain that controls all movement, is dedicated to the hands. Twenty-five percent. Interesting. Hands are unique. The touch of a hand is proven to relieve stress, the touch of a hand releases oxytocin, the feel-good hormone, hands. We're in a series called Last Words, and we're looking at the final words of Jesus on the cross. I'm not sure if you know, but when Jesus was on the cross, He made seven statements, 55 words. Let's do a quick review. The first statement we looked at, Father, forgive them, for they don't, do not know what they're doing. The second one we looked at, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. The third statement we looked at, woman, behold your son, and to John, the disciple, behold your mother. The fourth one we looked at, Jesus said, I thirst. The fifth one we looked at, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sixth one was when Jesus said, it is finished. And today, we are going to look at the seventh statement in just a moment, as we consider The crucifixion, and as we consider the moment of the crucifixion, we're brought face to face with the fact that God loves us this much. Enough to sweat, enough to bleed, enough to die. Let me ask you a question Who made the choice to have Jesus crucified? Think about that. God could have had Jesus die a thousand different ways. God could have had Jesus die of a heart attack and just be gone, just like that. God could have had Jesus die of cancer. God could have had Jesus beheaded like John the Baptist. But instead, God chose. God chose. God chose crucifixion. God chose the method of Jesus' death. And God chose to have Jesus die one of the most agonizing, slow, painful deaths. Think about it. We don't see too many people die anymore. Here's what I mean. It wasn't that long ago. There was a time in history most people died at home. So if you've seen someone die, then that is a rare moment. And yet when Jesus died, there were hundreds and hundreds of people standing around the cross just staring at Jesus, just waiting for Him to die. No one called a doctor, no one called an ambulance, no one called 911, no one called. They just stared and they watched and they waited for Jesus to die. And after the seventh statement that we're about to look at, that's exactly what Jesus does. He dies. Let me ask you another question. I don't know if you thought about this, but who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? Was it the Romans? Was it the scribes and the Pharisees? Was it the Jews? Was it the men who nailed Him to the cross? Was it the men that crucified Him? Was it the men who gambled for His clothes? Here's my point. Jesus was not killed. Jesus was not killed. Jesus chose the moment of His death in the same way that God the Father chose the moment He would be born. We read in Galatians, when the time had fully come, another translation, at just the right time, God decided, God chose, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And so God chose the moment of Jesus' birth, and Jesus chose the moment of His death. Again, Jesus was not murdered. This was not an accident. Jesus had a divine appointment with death, and no one was going to take that away from Him. Here's what we read in John 10. Jesus says, "...the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord." I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from the Father. Just a few verses earlier in John 10, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We know the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But did you know Jesus chose the moment that he would lay down his life? Now, I want you to focus on this. Again, Jesus was not killed. Jesus gave up His life voluntarily. He could have taken His life after the beatings. He could have taken His life when they put Him on the cross, when they nailed Him to the cross. He he could have taken His life when they lifted Him up and jolted Him into the ground. But He hung there hour after excruciating hour only after the sacrifice had been made, only after the victory had been won, only after all of that pain, then and only then did Jesus say and make the decision, okay, I'm going to die right now. It's time for me to go. Why? Because God loves us that much. God loves us enough to die for us, to suffer for us, to take those beatings for us and to hang on the cross for six hours for us So if you ever have a question, if you've ever wondered, does God love me? It's as if Jesus is saying on the cross for six hours, you look, you look, because I love you this much. that I'm going to hang here for six hours for you and go through this agony. Jesus voluntarily gave up his life. We know in Scripture, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Mark 10, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ephesians 5, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Jesus died for us, and He died voluntarily for us. But before He died, He made one more statement, a seventh statement on the cross. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when He had said this, He breathed His last even at his death, his enemies were not in control. Even at his death, Satan was not in control. Jesus was the one who was in control of his life all the way to his death. Jesus is the one dictating everything that's going on on this day. You know, you may not want to consider this, but you are going to die, and you cannot control. The day that you die. We read in Ecclesiastes, no man has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the day of his death. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Listen, folks, you are going to die. There's no exceptions to death, but you don't control the day of your death. Oh, you may try to put it off and you may try to exercise and eat better to try to control your life and maybe when you're going to die, but not with Jesus. Jesus was in control. Jesus was in complete control of his life from start to finish and he chose the time that he would die. And here's what Scripture says Scripture simply says he breathed his last. He breathed his last. I mean, what more needed to be said? He had just said, it's finished. What more needed to be said? The work of the cross was done. The work of redemption was done. The work of salvation was done. The work of reconciliation was done. The the work of atonement was done. Six statements have preceded this statement. With the first one, He taught us about forgiveness. With the second one, He taught us about grace and salvation. In the third statement, He talked to us about and taught us about relationships and taking care of family. With the next one, He fulfilled prophecy. With the next statement, He bore our sins. With the next statement, He redeemed us at the cross. And just as God did in the work of creation, after six days, He rested. After six statements... Jesus breathed his last and he rested. And he pulled himself up just one more time to say, Father, into your hands. Into your hands. And I think it's worth noting he did so in a loud voice. Which tells me that Jesus did not die of exhaustion. Most people who are going through a crucifixion, they reach a point they can't lift themselves up anymore. They can't say anything, maybe just a whisper. But Jesus lifts Himself up. Jesus does not die of exhaustion. Jesus dies of submission and in submission to the Father. Again, Jesus said in John 10, No one takes my life from me. I make that decision. Jesus submitted Himself to the Father throughout His entire life. And Jesus continues to submit Himself to the Father even in His death. And when the work had been completed, then and only then did Jesus choose the time that He would die. Notice what He said. Jesus said, Father. Which is encouraging. Because just a few statements before, He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God cannot look upon sin. And at the moment that Jesus is is carrying our sins, at the moment that our sins are on Jesus, God cannot look upon Jesus. And Jesus was forsaken for us. But now again He says, Father, which tells me the relationship has been restored. Father. Father. Interesting. In Luke two forty nine, remember when Joseph and Mary took 12-year-old Jesus to the temple? And then when they were returning home, they didn't know that Jesus uh, was no longer with them. And they go back to the temple. You remember the first recorded words of Jesus in Scripture? 12-year-old Jesus says, Didn't you know I had to be in my Father's house? Interesting. When Jesus began His public ministry... In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in what is called the Sermon on the Mount, He uses that word, Father, 19 times. In John 14, 15, and 16, when Jesus is trying to comfort His followers because He's going to die, as He's trying to comfort them, He uses the word, Father, 40 times. And when He prays in John 17, He uses the word, Father, six times. Father, the first word on the cross, Father, forgive them. The last statement on the cross, Father, into your hands. And so it's encouraging with this last statement that after his relationship was severed, after Jesus was forsaken, after Jesus bore our sins, after the sin debt had been paid, that he's able to say, Father. And the first request after the relationship has been restored is, Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. Jesus said, Father, into your hands. Into your hands. You know, when you give something valuable to someone, you might say, hey, will you hold this for me? Because you entrust them with something valuable. And that's what Jesus is doing right here. He looks to the Father and He entrusts His life with the Father, to the Father, and He says, will you hold this for me? Into your hands. Think about it, for the past 12 to 18 years, hours Jesus has not been in the hands of the father Jesus has been in the hands of godless men we read in Matthew chapter 17 the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men they will kill him and on the third day he will be raised to life, It was the hands of godless men that paid Judas some money. It was the hands of godless men, Judas, who betrayed him. It was the hands of godless men who held the weapons, who beat Jesus with their fists, who nailed him to the cross, and they gambled for his clothes. It was the hands of godless men. And Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, and he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, and you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. The hands of godless men, not to mention the hands of Satan, the hands of Satan who are waiting to snatch, the hands of Satan that are ready to claim. But there were greater hands that day that were at work. Even though it was the hand of God that covered the sun and there was darkness for three hours, it was the hand of God that caused a violent earthquake, oh, God was not silent on that day. He shook the earth with His hands. And the rocks were split. And the tombs were open, and it was the hands of God that claimed Jesus on that day. Again, Jesus did not die of exhaustion. D- Jesus died of submission. He submitted his life. He submitted his spirit into the hands of God. That's what it means when you put yourself in someone's hands, you entrust them. You surrender control. You submit your life to them. That's what they teach lifeguards. If someone is drowning and a lifeguard or someone comes to rescue them, you have to give up control. They tell you to relax. Just trust me. I've got you. And that's what Jesus does on this day. Jesus gives up control and He entrusts His life to the Father. Jesus spent the last 12 to 18 hours in the hands of godless men and He's going to spend the rest of eternity in the hands of His Father. I find it interesting. I don't know if you remember this phrase. Foxes have holes, Jesus said, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. The exact same words in terminology. When He had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished, and with that He bowed His head. He laid His head. The exact same words. It's interesting. Jesus bowed His head. Jesus lay His head. It means the deliberate putting of the head in a position of rest. Jesus deliberately put His head, His life, His body in the hands of the Father. The work of redemption is done and Jesus can rest. The work of salvation is completed and Jesus can rest. His mission is done. The task is completed. The battle has been won. And because of that, Jesus places His head, His life, His body in the hands of the Father. So let me give you some good news today. That's what you need to do. Because when you place your life in the hands of the Father, here's what we read. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, so no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. When Jesus cries out, Into your hands I commit my spirit, it was a cry of security, because Jesus was now safe and secure in the hands of the Father. No longer is is He in the hands of sinful men and godless men. Listen, folks, there's no more secure place for you to be than in the hands of the Father. Maybe that's the good news you need today. If you're wondering about your salvation, if you're wondering about your life, if you're wondering about your eternity, you can know that if you do what Jesus did, if you give up control and place yourself in the hands of the Father, that is a secure place to be. Hands. Interesting facts about hands. Interesting facts about the hands of God. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hands... Or the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. I don't know if you've ever noticed this verse. God says, See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. I've inscribed you. Your name is written on the hands of God. Reminds me of the song we often sing. He's got the whole world in His hands. He's got the little bitty baby. You and me, brother. You and me, sister. He's got everybody here in His hands. And on this day, on this day, He's got Jesus in His hands. Listen, folks, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear this life. You don't have to wonder if you've done enough. You don't have to wonder about your salvation. All you have to do is what Jesus did that day and put your life, entrust your life, give up control of your life into the hands of the Father because He really does have the whole world in His hands. Jesus spent a lifetime getting ready for this statement, Father, into your hands. Have you done that? Have you given up control? Have you put your life in the hands of God? Have you entrusted your life into the hands of God? Because He really does have the whole world in His hands, and it's time for us to put our lives into His hands. Jesus submitted His life. Jesus positioned Himself into the hands of the Father, and we need to do the same thing. Let me close with the words to this song. I love this song. I just came across it. From Casting Crowns, it's called Scars in Heaven, and the chorus goes like this. The only scars in heaven, they won't belong to me and you. There will be no such thing as broken, and all the old will be made new. And the thought that makes me smile now, even as the tears fall down, is that the only scars in heaven are on the hands that hold you now. Listen, folks, the safest place to be, the best place to be, the most secure place to be, the most peaceful place to be, the most redeeming place to be, the most submissive place to be is in the hands of Jesus. Will you put your life into the hands of God today as we stand and sing?